Let's start by talking about Aspen once again and if there's anything to worry about given the rumours uh, and the share price reaction. Yeah, Sakina, so let's take a step back. You know, what we know at the moment is that uh, Viceroy, a research company based in the U.S., um, who released an explosive report about Steinoff uh, shortly before, um, you know, we saw the capitulation in the share price. Uh, you know, that, that research company has, um, you know, continuously been reiterating that, uh, you know, they have more reports to come on South African and U.K. companies over the, fir- over the course of the first quarter of 2018. Um, you know, and the market now speculating uh, that the South African company they may be referring to uh, that, that, that uh, is, is, is Aspen, um, you know. And the reason they come to that conclusion is because, um, you know, Aspen obviously, um, you know, while it's in a very different business to start off and, uh, you know, while, uh, you know, it may not be accounting for per se, uh, but, uh, you know, there's, there's uh, certain similarities in that Aspen has had very, very acquisitive, has been very, very acquisitive in the way they go about their business. Um, you know, obviously, just as much as Steinoff has been, or perhaps even more aggressive in terms of how they've gone about their acquisitions. Um, you know, I suppose the one difference is that, uh, you know, there's all, there were always question marks in Steinoff about the cash conversion ratio, you know, so they generate a certain level of earnings, but there was never a commensurate level of cash which was filtering down, um, you know, into the cash flow statement for Steinoff, whereas with uh, Aspen, uh, the level of cash generation is fairly phenomenal, uh, and the cash conversion ratio is, is, is significantly better than what it was for Steinoff. So I suppose, um, you know, the acquisitive growth is ultimately resulting in cash generation for Aspen where it wasn't for Steinoff. So I think that that's one key difference. Um, you know, and, and the share price has reacted quite negatively. You know, obviously um, over the course of, not yesterday, but the day before the share price was down as much as 10%, before the company came out with a SENS announcement um, saying that they have had no contact with Viceroy and they believe that there's nothing that they need to disclose to shareholders, which is of a price-sensitive nature. And we saw then that the share then recovered to around about 6% to close the day, about 4% lower. And then again yesterday closed down another 2.5% lower. So I think that, Sakina, up until, uh, you know, there is greater clarity around what is this company that Viceroy is going to be releasing a report on, what is going to be the nature of this report, Um, you know, we could see some volatility in the share price continue because unfortunately um, you know the trust deficit between uh, the investor base and and, and, and corporate South Africa um, is at a pretty low moment at, at, at currently given the, the, the sign off scandal and given issues around um, you know the, the, the DSTV masters and, and, and the whole um, you know the digital migration process and how they handle that so Sakina, I think we're going to continue to see volatility until there's greater, greater clarity uh, but you know it's it's difficult to say at the moment, um, or, or it's a, quite a fast stretch, should I say, at the moment, to say that it's going to be a, a stand-off type situation with Aspen, um, you know, with, with this viceroy report. And another story uh, we touched on yesterday, the NASPERS problem on the JSE. Yeah, Sakina, I mean, this is becoming an increasingly difficult uh, problem to navigate. I mean, if you look at the course of 2017, uh, NASPERS, as in one share, contributed more than 50% of the total return of the markets. Now, uh, you know, the all-share index has some 164 shares listed in the, in the all-share index, and uh, NASPERS alone contributed a total of, the, of, the, of 50% of the total return of the, of, of, of the index. Now, you know, in a year where you have so much concentration, 
information in just one share, it becomes exceedingly difficult for any active manager um, taking uh, risk-controlled and prudent bets, um, you know, to, to outperform that kind of that kind of a concentrated index, you know, because you can sort of be one percent overweight uh, a number of shares which actually outperform the switch, and you're still not going to generate the same level of contribution to return um, that an, an on-benchmark weight in Naspers would have produced. Now, obviously, getting to on-benchmark in Naspers is a considerable problem, given that it's uh, you know almost a quarter of the total index, somewhere around 23, 24% um, of the index. So, getting to on-weight is, is a significant problem, which means that uh, you know if you underweight Naspers, that obviously contributes significantly to underperformance. And when you have a year like you did last year, where only one in four shares listed in the index actually outperformed the index, um, you know it becomes exceedingly difficult uh, to make up for that lost performance of being underweight Naspers. Should you be sensible and not put 24% or 25% um, in a single stock? So, Sakina, you know, there's been a lot of debates happening about active versus passive, and active managers haven't outperformed over the last one year. So, you know, you, you should go completely passive, and um, you know, you, it's not worth paying active managers their active fee. Um, you know, I think that's a slightly myopic debate. You know, I don't think that it's a debate about either active or passive. I think there's a place for both strategies um, in an equity portfolio or in an equity allocation, and I think. I think that, uh, you know, using just 2017 as an example to say that, well, active managers underperform is not a fair reflection um, of the actual active asset management uh, track record, especially given how concentrated and shallow the returns were um, in the course of last year. So I'd say uh, still a place for active management, but should you have very shallow and very concentrated markets like you did last year, um, that's certainly where passive can come to the fore and assist in, in, in uh, buffering performance. And then uh, just a quick look at the United States and the bond, uh, the, 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 the bond yields there, Nadir, reaching a 10-month high. Yeah, Sakina, I mean, this is a, is a story that we're going to be watching quite closely. I mean, we mentioned it yesterday with uh, the emerging market bond inflows and the fact that uh, those have been exceptionally robust and demand for emerging market debt looks exceptionally robust uh, given the, uh, the, the, the demand for or the search for yield globally because of low interest rates. And um, we saw bond yields spike into a 10-month high yesterday. I think, uh, you know, this is quite concerning if you're an emerging market, uh, if you're an emerging market, and in fact, we saw bond yields across the world rising quite aggressively yesterday. I mean, our 10-year yield closed about 10 basis points higher as well. Um, And I think, you know, the bottom line is that the market is starting to anticipate that possibly inflation is going to finally come through in the U.S. economy this year, Um, possibly from the fact that uh, we've got these corporate tax cuts uh, that have happened in the U.S., the corporate tax rate being taxed to um, 21% from, uh, from 35%. So all that excess cash which corporates are going to have, um, you know, either doing share buyback, pro- uh, share buyback programs or distributing in terms of dividends or increasing capex, um, what that, the, the, the impact of that would be that we could see higher inflation in the U.S. as a result of all this excess cash in the system. And as a result of that, um, interest rates from the Federal 
Federal Reserve may finally have to go up a bit more aggressively, and that's what's sparking a, a you know a, a sell-off in the global bond in the global bond market. Um, you know, although the higher yield that we saw, the 10-month high in yield that we saw, um, the ten-year the, there was a 10-year U.S. Treasury auction yesterday, and that obviously brought back significant demand uh, from bond investors, given that uh, you know we saw the spike in the yield, and ultimately the bond market uh, ended the day just about one basis point higher. So I think the point to take away from that is that as soon as there's more attractive yields on offer, it brings buyers back in a big way into the markets, um, and we see that those bond yields start retracing back quite quickly. So, Sakina, even if there is going to be some interest rate increases from the Federal Reserve faster than expected, I think there'll be a temporary reaction in the bond markets. Um, yields will spike, and we'll see that those tempering quite quickly as yield-sensitive investors come back into the market. Remember that, uh, you know, should we see significantly higher bond yields, it also becomes a question of the, a relative game, right? So we'll see a lot of equity investors uh, starting to switch into fixed income as the yield becomes more attractive and as equity markets have rallied quite hard. So they'll use it as an opportunity to take some profits and redeploy into a more attractive bond market. So I think that there will ultimately be a ceiling on bond yields. Um, you know, it's not going to be a sort of scenario where you're going to see the 10-year Treasury getting to 3.3, 3.4% uh, because there will be that natural demand coming in as yields spike a little bit.